The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to an Ask Me Anything episode of the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to get our hands dirty and talk marketing strategy and execution to help a member of the MarTech community overcome an obstacle that they're facing. Joining us for today's marketing strategy AMA is Anthony Coppage, who is an independent agile marketing consultant. And today, Anthony and I are going to chat about the impact social media backlash will have on marketers. Here's our interview with Anthony Coppage, independent agile marketing consultant. Anthony, welcome to an AMA episode of the MarTech Podcast. Hey, Ben, great to be here. It's always great to connect with a listener of the show. I really appreciate you reaching out, and I'm excited to talk a little bit about social media today. But before we get started, I want to hear a little bit about you. Tell the MarTech Podcast audience a little bit about your background. Absolutely. So I'm a guy who's been in a different roles of marketing and communication now since 2009, and before that had sales leadership experience. So I've been on both sides of the sales and marketing fence. And through working for technology companies, some startups, as well as some SaaS-based companies, I found myself hanging around developers a lot. So the marketing team was looking at how do we promote what's coming down the pike. And I would walk into these rooms with so many whiteboards, magnetic walls, and these guys are doing these huge sprints. And I was like, what in the world is that? So it was my introduction to what would change my life as a marketer, and that's Agile. So it's how I became an Agile marketer, and it's fun to be applying those principles and practices in the interrupt-driven world of marketing. So you're working in agile marketing, you're consulting for other brands for how they can move faster and test and iterate. And when we connected, it was over LinkedIn, I appreciate you reaching out. And you had some comments about our outreach for our email newsletter. And eventually we got onto the topic of social media. Talk to me about some of the questions that you have and some of the channels that you're using to be an effective agile marketer. So agile marketing is the way we process the workload and prioritize the work for teams to get the right kind of marketing done, right? So agile is the behind the scenes engine, if you would, as well as the cultural norm that we create of empowering people to come to the table and have a voice from all levels of the organization. The channelization of that is, of course, just like any other marketer where I'm on social media, there's blogging, articles, podcasts, et cetera, and now voice search. So the idea for this was 
how do I then learn about what I think is coming down the pike and have that validated by others? So coming from that viewpoint, when I reached out to you, one of the things I was curious about is in 2020, the election cycle here in the United States is really going to ramp up. And what I'm curious to hear about, Ben, from your perspective is the potential is for people to have a backlash. As you mentioned at the top of the show, what would it look like, do you think, for marketers to see people fall away from social media simply to avoid all of the negativity that comes around election cycles and the divisiveness? Do you think that's going to have a measurable, significant impact on marketing? So a couple different comments First, I don't think that this is just an issue that is nationalized here in the United States. I think that how social media is being used around the world and some of the challenges that the biggest platforms have in terms of how it can be used to influence politics and just how it can be used to influence is not specific to the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. The 2016 election, the presidential election here in the United States, obviously raised some eyebrows and people are concerned about Facebook's practices. I also think that with the current president being very active on Twitter, that's probably also a channel that people are looking at and are a little concerned about the amount of influence. But there are elections all over the world. So I do think that this is a worldwide platform problem, not just something that's localized here to the U.S., I do think that there is a more negative sentiment with the increase of popularity of political content in social media. Now, I don't have any data to prove that. It's just something that I see and feel, and it's because it's in the news cycle talking about the constant negativity and how people are sort of in echo chambers. I think there's something to be said for when you're on social media, you're only getting the points of view of the people that you want to hear from not from both sides of the fence. So it makes people feel justified in only believing one thing. And I think that creates a lot of conflict when you're forced to hear another point of view. This is all sort of personal commentary about how I feel about social media. And to be honest, I've backed off from my consumption of social media on the more prominent platforms on Facebook and on Twitter because I can't really deal with the arguing. And I feel like it's just become a mudslinging exercise. And from a personal perspective, it's hard to have that much negativity in front of you all of the time. And I, my guess is a lot of people feel the same way. Before I go on, is this the problem that you're thinking about, that the negative feeling around people's social media fields will impact how much they engage with those channels? Well, I think it's two things. One is the clear divisiveness that happens when people throw around politics, right? It almost never goes well <laughs> in private circles. And so when you see that happening in social where people can feel some level of anonymity, even though it's not anonymous, we know you are if you're using your real name, the idea is that people will avoid Facebook, for example. They might even avoid or ramp down their usage of Twitter, for example, or even LinkedIn, where people are seeing so much content spun up around the news, the stats, the sound bites, the divisiveness that they would shun it to some extent just to not have that noise. That's half of it. But the other is the privacy piece, which you did allude to. In fact, Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Facebook at their F8 conference, described the company's new approach to their online communication. He probably said privacy more times than ever. 
it's one of those things that they realize they've been burned and people feel like if I share or if I'm on there, is it even safe? So there's a both and, right? It's the divisiveness and then the fear of what's really private and how much information is being shared with others. Do you think that that combination therein will lead to some notable decrease in social media activity and engagement that marketers would notice? I actually think that the rise of the political conversation, which generates what you're calling the divisiveness, I actually think that's good for business. Because if it wasn't content that drove more engagement and more impressions, right? People are on the platforms more because they're engaging in these conversations, even if they hate them. I think that it's helping the platforms increase their reach. Arguments are good for business, and nothing creates more comments, which creates more impressions than a 50-comment tweet storm or this post that you can't look away from because it makes you angry. So as much as I don't believe that the negativity is necessarily sustainable in the long term, or do I feel that it is healthy for the culture from a pure marketing perspective, thinking about Facebook and Twitter specifically, if the negative commentary was something that was really hurting people's usage and adoption of the platforms, my feeling is either the algorithms or the people at the companies would filter that commentary out or away. So if it wasn't helping boost the impression levels, it probably would have been buried by now. I think the negativity is actually good for social medias in terms of their impression rates, in terms of how they serve it. Now, in terms of building sustainable customer lifetimes, you're getting guys like me who are like, I am tired of seeing people sling mud at each other. So I am consuming less social media. And I think over time, people might follow that trend. And you mentioned that Facebook is taking a step towards trying to promote different types of content and improve privacy. That's the statement that they made early in the month of May, a little while before this episode is going to be published. So maybe that there is some sense that the negativity is impacting them. I think you brought up the real point is people are very concerned about what they're publishing on social networks. And so they're more focused on privacy. And, and Facebook specifically has been getting hammered about their data practices. And you're seeing this show up in the targeting criteria that advertisers can use. Earlier, I believe it was in April, we had Akvila DeFazio from Advertise come on and talk about marketing on Facebook. And she said that we used to be able to target by, it was either household income or the combination of household income and zip code. And those targeting criteria were taken away, some combination of them. That was a reflection of that information impacting people's privacy. So I do think that the privacy impact, you know, Facebook and Twitter don't want to be subject to government regulations. They've been forced to take in more considerations of people's privacy. That's what I think is happening with the changes in Facebook. Again, my personal opinion, I don't work at Facebook. I do believe that the political conversations that are going to come up around elections are actually going to boost the impression levels. People are going to be on the platforms and more engaged. Over time, I think people might tire from those conversations and the consistent negativity, but that's speculation and it's definitely not happening in the near term. So Ben, when you think about the changes that Facebook's making in general, and then you look at the other platforms that are out there, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and others, what do you think is going to be the impact of that trust factor deteriorating and or what do you think the impact would be of Facebook losing credibility in the audience deteriorating? What do you think they'll go? What do you think that'll mean? First off, Facebook ain't going away. It is a behemoth. That thing is a moving freight train. It's going to take a lot to stop it. 
and beyond just government regulations and being called a monopoly or broken up, like something drastic, advertisers and marketers are going to put their dollars into Facebook and into social media platforms, into Instagram until it becomes an ineffective channel. And that is not happening anytime soon. It will absolutely still be one of the two biggest digital marketing workhorses for the foreseeable future, in my opinion. Obviously, this depends on what channel you're in, whether you're B2B, B2C, although, you know, I've Heard lots of B2B brands saying that they are relying more on Facebook than ever before. But in terms of the amount of data they capture, the targeting criteria, the broad reach, and the impression levels that they can drive, Facebook's going to be around for a long time. And I mean, Facebook Inc. So I don't see the channel becoming less popular amongst advertisers. I think what we're seeing is you're getting more scaled advertisers come onto the platform. So it's becoming more expensive. And so marketers who are a little bit more budget conscious and care a little bit less about the total reach and scale of a channel are going to have to be more creative and move away from, I'm just going to give Facebook and Google my money over time. I'm biased. I think the podcast advertising channel is one that you're going to see continue to grow. And so there's these other formats of content. You're seeing video advertising and YouTube still be very, very effective and relatively low cost. It's expensive to make video advertising. I think that you're going to see more of a focus on a healthier mix of marketing channels as Facebook and the other social media channels become more expensive. So if I'm a B2B marketer and Facebook becomes more expensive and I need to shift budget away from there, I think that it's relative price point compared to LinkedIn, which I've heard is pretty expensive when you're just getting started and has relatively limited scale. I think you'll see people put more budget into those channels. I know Quora is coming up as another advertising channel. I think that's great for B2B and potentially B2C, depending on what your products are. So I think that there's other places to move your budget as the standard bearers become more expensive. And I think you'll see marketers get more creative and go back to either traditional channels, direct mail, event marketing, building personal relationships, or they're going to have to investigate and find new channels. And that's where I think you know audio advertising is coming up, video, non-traditional things. People are going to have to get more creative. But for the foreseeable future, Facebook ain't going anywhere. Google and Facebook are still going to be the primary places where most marketers are putting their budget in terms of digital marketing. Programmatic is still relatively big. Uh, you have native marketing channels. The Tabula Outbrains, Yahoo are still... Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. 
A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Good for broad reach that are cheap, but they're a little hard to target. So it's kind of a lot of capital to get those channels up and running. But if Facebook and the other social media channels become significantly more expensive, right? If the entry-level marketers are priced out of those channels, I think there's going to be a premium on understanding who your customers are on being able to reach them through networking, events, direct marketing, and then just really honing in on your target market. So when you do spend on digital marketing channels, you're doing it effectively because you want to be able to reach the right customer with the right message at the right time. Specific to Facebook, following up with that, I would say that the push for personal communication, i.e. Facebook's making a big push with groups. It's redesigning that. It's making a big push on their messaging app. And now it's going to be end-to-end encryption for Messenger, just like WhatsApp has. And I think you're correct that that does create those non-traditional or splintered opportunities. I think, too, is we're going back to, regardless if it's B2B or B2C, we're going back to a one-on-one conversation as marketers. And it used to be, if you go back to the Wild West here in America, you know, you went to the general store and they got to know you and they would probably pre-order flour if you're going to order that regularly enough. And so they started to know your buying habits. And before retargeting was a thing, it was a thing, right? <laughs> so we had a way to interact with people where they knew you. And then we went to big box store and then Amazon and then it became less and less personal and more and more automated. And I think the value of automation now is to bring it back to personal so you can come back to that one-on-one. Absolutely. You know, it's something that I realized while working as a marketing consultant over the last few years and specifically when doing outreach for the MarTech podcast, personal emails, even if they are form emails, right, or even if they are mail merges where you're inserting variables, perform so much better than impersonal emails, right? Your newsletter blasts, and you don't really see a lot of batch and blast type emails, or you shouldn't anymore. So I think that now that the ability for us to reach consumers through digital advertising, like the platforms are getting more and more sophisticated If you have access to the right data and you understand who you're trying to reach, you can personalize your marketing just like you would through email. I think that's going to get a lot easier. So as the cost per an impression goes up, the need to better understand who you're reaching out to becomes more important in the same way that it is with email. If you send an email to somebody that you don't know that's off target, they're not going to open it. They're going to hit the spam button. You get less of that with your social media. So like I said, I don't foresee the landscape of social media changing dramatically anytime soon. I think it'll still be the right way to reach a large audience. But I think that the shift is towards needing to understand who your customers are at a fundamental level, getting the data to understand not only who they are, where they are, and what you want to say to them, what their pain points are, and then being able to insert that information into whatever marketing campaign you're running, whether it be email marketing automation or your digital advertising, that personalization trend is absolutely going to continue. 
What I hear you saying is that the marketers keeping up with the Joneses, the MarTech, you know, Brinker's got the MarTech 7,000 now, which is like 7,040 companies on this list. And it's, it is insane. It's not just difficult, it's impossible for marketers. And so the reality for marketers is that the speed of change is as much a problem as the opportunity to create content or target that content. And it leaves your organization at risk of becoming tone deaf in what I call the communication economy. So I see this as not just a small trend, but I see this as an overarching issue that marketers have to grapple and make some choices about where they're going to put their time because they can't do it all. Yeah, I absolutely think that prioritizing what your marketing channels are, and I'll speak specifically about what we do to promote the MarTech podcast. I could be running ads across every social media channel to syndicate our content, right? I could push it out through Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, maybe Snapchat probably wouldn't be a great fit. Quora probably is a good one that we haven't got to testing. We work with two marketing channels right now. We had to prioritize because we're a small team. And as long as those marketing channels, the knit podcast advertising dynamic insertion platform and working with the inside newsletter this quarter, and as long as those are performing, you know, I'm going to lean on them and we run some tests to validate other channels, but you need to prioritize what you're working on and making sure that you're able to make the experience of your advertising personalized and customized and relevant more than you really have to focus on reaching a nondescript audience. And I think that trend is going to continue, whether it's email marketing or just advertising like what we do with audio or some display placements, right person, right place, right time. And if you don't know who the person is and you don't know what the right place and right time is, it's not going to be effective. All right. So you've mentioned a few times now, Ben, right person, right place, right time. You know, that idea of specific, very narrow targeting for segmentation purposes. In my consulting work with my agile marketing clients, they have a twofold thing of help us solve the problem internally. Who do we need to get the ideas across that we could be more effective at marketing? And then the other side is just how do we actually get higher conversion rates of what we do with marketing from a channel perspective? What's been your experience in both of those? This is what I call my brand development process. And at the end of the day, I think it goes to doing your homework and interviewing or having conversations with the people internally and externally in your organization. You have to understand how your company thinks about solving your problem, how they're describing themselves, and come up with a universally applied voice. And this gets into what your identity is, what your messaging stack is. But you know, whenever I'm working with a new consulting client, I sit down with all of the key stakeholders and I ask them some very high level questions like, how do you define your company? Who are your customers? What are their problems? Why is your product the right fit for the problems that they're having? And everybody inherently has a little bit of a different take on solving those problems. And so I try to find the overlap between everyone's description and say, okay, this is what you all agree to. Let's call this the universal truth. And this is how you're going to describe your company, the problem, who your customers are. Then on the flip side, we go out and we find people who are already their customers or who are their prospects. And we ask them, how do you think about the problem you're trying to solve? Who is in your consideration set? Where do you look for information to solve this problem? What are your major pain points? And why is this company a good fit or not a good fit to solve the problem that you have? And so basically you're getting a reflection of what the company thinks about itself. And you're matching that against how the customer is describing their problem to make sure that there's resonance between the description the company is providing and the problem the customer is saying. 
And out of that process, which for me, if I'm working with a consulting client, that's a six to eight week project, couple sets of you're interviewing 10 people internally, 10 customers, and you're transcribing everything and summarizing it, giving it back to the client. That process flushes out a lot of how the customer is thinking about what the problem is, which either they will explicitly say, I am looking at these marketing channels to solve this problem. I am a B2B buyer for SaaS, so I'm going to conferences, or I'm looking for content, or I'm looking for influencers or references for these types of products, or I'm a consumer e-commerce product, and I look for these products by searching for them. I look for them on Amazon, and sometimes they just come to me in Facebook and Instagram, right? They'll tell you where they're looking and where they're finding these types of products when you go and ask them. Some of the times they'll say, you know, it's like, oh, actually, this is the type of thing I might look on Pinterest for, or I do an image search and that'll give you an idea that's more broad about how you need to think about where to focus your marketing efforts. But doing your brand development, doing your homework, understanding the capabilities that your company has, and then matching those against who your customers are, that's your best bet in terms of understanding who you should be targeting and getting down to that deeper level of not just geography, not just household income, but some of the real important specific targeting criteria that you can use, whether it be digital marketing, whether it be out of home, whether it be email marketing or marketing automation, like go ask the customer how they think about it. And if you have one customer, there's likely 10 people that are similar to them and you can use your best judgment on your channel mix by talking to them. So I'm curious to hear, you've been a marketing consultant for a while and a professional marketer. We're peers. How do you feel about finding the right channel mix and how does it apply to using an agile marketing approach? So the qualitative information is important as the data, right? The quantitative. And for me, it's going back and doing those surveys like you're talking about. It's asking questions. Some of the best information is purely anecdotal. And what you have to do is then go find data that does or doesn't support that. So when you're thinking about where we should be or what we should be communicating, Part of that is understanding, have we even identified the correct pain point or gain opportunity? And internally, so many companies, so many marketers focus on what's about them, what their product does, how great they are. Their content is all about the product, all about the company, rather than saying, here's actually this pain we solve, or here's this opportunity. Did you know you could do this, that, and the other? Agile marketing comes in in a way that says, I want to help empower agility in marketing because we have to manage that tension between how much work we can get done and the interrupt-driven nature of digital marketing today. You know, in 2017, Workfront did a survey of 600 marketers, and they said that after email and meetings, they had about 38% of their time left to do their actual job. And then when they asked what got in the way, they said wasteful meetings, excessive oversight, big offenders, and the prevalence of conflict between marketing and other teams was at 98%. So... Before you can go serve your audience and say, here's what's best for you, you've got to get your ducks in a row internally and align marketing to business outcomes, not marketing activity. Not did we have five ads that went here and did we do well when we put on Quora or our Facebook page is doing. That's metrics that are useful as a lagging indicator, but you actually want to get ahead of that curve and go internally and take those same questions and start asking, are we talking about us or are we actually leading with the value proposition? Are we leading with where they are? Can they quickly self-identify? And is it obvious we can help them? That would be the biggest fundamental change. Agile just gives us a way to frame that and work around that and prioritize work by creating better project visibility, higher quality work, and the ability to change gears quickly. The things that you said that resonate the most with me, and it's something that I'm working on, it's a bad habit for my sponsorship outreach. 
I am often saying things like, I would love to find a way to work with you. And here's how great the MarTech podcast is. Do you want to be a sponsor? And I've been specifically changing around my email marketing templates to be like, we can provide this type of value and this credibility and these metrics for your business. It's not about how great our product is. It is about here's how we can help you solve your needs. Their results. Yes. Yeah. And the more I've learned about who my customers are, the more I've realized that my copy was off the mark. You're constantly doing your customer research, not necessarily just upfront, but you're always evolving and iterating. And that's why your messaging can change over time. So, you know, Anthony, I think we've covered a lot of ground. We started off talking about social media and what's going to happen with the impact of the election and got into a deep philosophical topic about marketing. I appreciate you reaching out. Based on this conversation, I can tell that you are an excellent marketer and your head is in the right place. And as you continue to think about your channel mix and what's going to happen and whether you should be applying social media advertising into your marketing mix or whether you should be deferring away, at the end of the day, understand who your customer is, find data about them and ask them where they're looking for the information. That's the secret sauce, but it sounds like you're approaching things the right way. Well, thanks. It's been a pleasure to be on your podcast. Thanks, Ben. No problem. Great to have you. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks again to Anthony Coppage, an independent agile marketing consultant for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Anthony, you can click on the link to his show notes, or you can send him a tweet at Anthony Coppage, which is A-N-T-H-O-N-Y-C-O-P-P-E-D-G-E. A couple of links in our show notes that I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. Just head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you. So we created benjshap.com slash question where you can send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions like Anthony here, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we publish episodes every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Or if you'd prefer to have our content delivered to your inbox, we have a once a week newsletter with links to our audio players, episode summaries, and the contact information for our guests. To have more MarTech delivered to your inbox, subscribe by going to benjshap.com newsletter. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.